Welcome to The Whole Marketer, where we look at the holistic skills the marketeers of today need to grow the brands and businesses of tomorrow, to ensure marketeers feel supported and empowered to have successful and fulfilling careers and lives as a whole. Hello, and welcome to The Whole Marketer podcast. Today's podcast is an area of personal understanding and also impacts in our role as leaders. It's menopause. Before I'm joined by today's guest, Claire Farrant, let me tell you what menopause means to me and why I think it's so important to improve our understanding. Menopause is when a woman stops having periods. It's a natural part of aging that usually happens between the age of 45 and 55 years old. However, the symptoms can start from your late 30s onwards or as a result of a medical requirement, which may be a preventative measure for such things as cancer, which we will discuss today. The hormonal shift starts as we start to head towards the menopause. And this phase is called the perimenopause and something that I and many I know are experiencing impacting their work and lives as a whole. Therefore, today's guests and I wanted to talk about this in today's podcast, as although recently there's been a rise on the impacts menopause can have on women and solutions to help, I feel that having an understanding for yourself or for others you know and work with who are going through this change is key so that they feel supported and not alone. Funnily enough, today's podcast was meant to be about retail marketing, but when Claire and I were having an offline conversation about all things marketing related, we soon started sharing our menopause woes and decided that actually to do a podcast on the menopause, we both felt would be more beneficial in helping others, both in the same situation and to increase our awareness amongst our colleagues and workmates, where the menopause will be impacting them psychologically, mentally and emotionally and their lives as a whole. Today's guest is Claire Farrant. She's a retail marketer through and through, having spent a decade at Tesco before joining Lidl in 2015 to become marketing director, where she's worked for over seven years. Building brands to weather all storms is what really excites Claire. Her and her brilliant marketing team have helped to ensure Lidl continues to be the front of mind of shoppers here in the UK and has resulted have helped Lidl market share growing three points from where it was in 2015 when she first joined. She loves to challenge the status quo and is a strong believer in the word. Why? Leadership and the investment of is important to her, which is a strong mentality she instills across her own team. She is a keen mentor for Little and others outside the retail industry. She loves to support, encourage and inspire new marketers into the industry and has worked with the likes of CIM with the pitch brief in 2020, whereby a real life marketing challenge is set by a global brand. And in 2020, that brand was Little. Claire has won Power 100 by Campaign Magazine every year since 2016 and shortlisted for a Marketing Master Award by Marketing Week and Futurist Female. She is a mother of a 15-year-old who is Claire's toughest critic when it comes to Little's advertising. Most recently, Claire is a BRCA2 survivor after overcoming two risk-reducing surgeries in the last three years. Claire, welcome to the Whole Marketer podcast. Thank you, Abby. As you know, as an avid listener, we always start with a big juicy (laughs) question. She is, she is. What is menopause? to you? So buckle in. This is a really big question for me, but I just want to clarify as well throughout all of this podcast, I am not a clinician. I'm not a doctor. So what I'm quoting is kind of my personal experience and research. So I just want to caveat that before we start. So menopause for me, in my case and for my family, it's a reminder of my survival and my family's survival, almost cheating cancer in some way and an attempt to prolong life. So let me 
unpack this a little bit for you. So menopause to me up till about four years ago, was only a memory of experiencing my mum going through it. She went through it at a very early age. I say early, it's like early 30s. My mum had really bad problems, which caused her to really need or consider a hysterectomy of some sorts. She was suffering from lots of bleeding, really heavy cramps, painful cramps. She was a teacher at the time as well. So she really needed to be at the top of the game. And, and she was struggling with the embarrassment of what was being caused week on week. So she spoke to the doctors. She got a lot of advice, but she was also conscious that she was still only in her early 30s. She didn't want to experience the full menopausal symptoms at such a young age. So she took the decision to have what we call a subtotal hysterectomy, which is the removal of the uterus, but keeping the ovaries. She had the operation and in those days it wasn't keyhole surgery. So it was pretty brutal. You were going into hospital for two weeks. Then I think the recovery was six weeks. I remember being shipped off to my grandparents and being taught homeschool for three or four weeks during that time. It was pretty frightening and for my mum. And she she did actually suffer some menopausal symptoms. They weren't as severe perhaps as had she had the full hysterectomy, but they were certainly significant and significant to her. So much so she decides to take on HRT, a hormone replacement therapy, and it was a combined one because she still had her ovaries. But even I remember her having insomnia, hot sweats. I remember going on a trip to America. We were driving to Heathrow and she just suddenly panicked and she turned to us and said, I've forgotten our HRT. We were going on a trip for three weeks on a fly drive to America. So we were all going to be in the car together, really close proximity. And this, this terrified her that she was going to almost, in her mind, go cold turkey for three weeks and not have the drugs that she felt, you know, kind of suppress some of those symptoms. So it was, yeah, it was extremely tough time for my mom, but she, you know, she was prescribed the drugs and she was on that said hormone replacement therapy for several decades after that. And then four years ago, I started suffering the same symptoms. So a lot of painful periods, a lot of heavy bleeding, crippled sometimes the pain. And I suffered quite a lot of insomnia as well. It was usually just the week before my time of the month. And when I talk about insomnia, I'm talking about three, four days of no sleep, sometimes kind of getting in the car, driving to work or wherever I was going and not remembering how I got there. It was quite severe insomnia and side effects. And then I'd kind of gone to see a doctor, but I hadn't really talked about the severity of those symptoms. And I think I'd kind of left it and left it, prolonged it, didn't really want to know what the diagnosis was to kind of just put it off for a while. And at the same time, I got a call from my mum and I'll always remember where I was. I was in the driveway of my home and my mum said on the call, she lives up north, are you sitting down, darling? And are you with somebody? And she said, I've got cancer. And sorry, I've got ovarian cancer and it's stage three um so yeah that was that's quite a lot to take in especially when we all knew obviously her choice to not have that full hysterectomy and to keep her ovaries was now the cause of her cancer so that was something that she was obviously living with and having to address now so yeah my poor mum had an operation within days she had chemo soon after that and a trial drug and she still lives with cancer now. She has regular checks and checks to measure the size of the tumour to make sure it is at a safe level. But during that time, we really started to read more and more about the disease and also our family tree. But after all of that treatment that my mum had during cancer, she then went through a second version of menopause. So she's going through this whole 
dilemma again, all of these, and she was hit quite hard with those symptoms. I mean, some of them could have been a side effect of some of the chemotherapy that she was having and the trial drugs that did go on for some time. But she suffered again from hot sweats, insomnia. And of course, because she still has cancer, she was advised not to take any hormone replacement therapy. So she's having to find other ways now to suppress and relieve some of those symptoms. But her going through all of that, what we didn't know, certainly for me and my sister, was that it was actually going to save our lives and prolong our lives. So we discovered during my mum having cancer that there was a significant enough bloodline because her mum had died of cancer too, that if my mum tested positive for BRCA2 mutated gene, that we could then be tested for that gene as well to see whether cancer was hereditary in our family. And after two months of gruesome waiting, my mum tested positive. My sister then tested positive. My test took a bit of back and forth, took a bit longer, but I too then was tested positive BRCA2 mutated gene. And I just want to explain, Abby, what we mean by BRCA. So although the structures of BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes are very different, their functions are quite interrelated. So the proteins made by both genes are essential for repairing damaged DNA. But a BRCA mutation can either happen in BRCA1 or BRCA2. And these are tumor suppressor genes. And there's hundreds of different types of mutations in these genes. And some are determined to be harmful, while others have no proven impact. But the harmful mutations in these genes may produce hereditary breast ovarian cancer syndrome, which means patients with those harmful mutations, either BRCA1 or BRCA2, have a high risk of breast cancer and a high risk of ovarian cancer. And the mutations can be inherited from either parent, so mother or father, and it may be passed on to both sons and daughters, so not just daughters. And each child of a genetic carrier, regardless of the sex, has a 50% chance of inheriting that mutated gene from the parent who carries that same mutation. And sadly, that was true for both my sister and I, but us taking part in that gene test meant that we had the knowledge. And for us, the knowledge was really, really important. We wanted to know. And I know I've spoken to a lot of people who have that same probability in their lives, in their bloodlines, but have chosen not to know. And it really is your own personal choice. But in our case, our mum, she saved our life. She went through this awful experience and thankfully came out the other side. But what a great gift. She actually prevented her daughters from contracting the same disease, ovarian cancer, if we chose to conduct that risk-reducing surgery, which we both opted to do. My sister had the double mastectomy first. I decided on the full hysterectomy first, given that I had symptoms already that were, like I said, painful periods and stomach cramps. But before I went through the surgery, I got lots and lots of advice about HRT. I went to test certain brands and types prior to be 100% sure that when I had that operation and I was really reliant on those said drugs or therapies, that I had that peace of mind when I left the hospital because I saw what my mum had gone through in the 90s and the reliance on certain therapies to suppress some of those symptoms that she had. And that's the best advice I can give is do your research, talk to your GP. I'm not saying that didn't stop me sobbing pre-surgery. I was really aware that the operation is just a few hours. It's keyhole surgery now, not like what my mum went through. And it's quite a short recovery time. It's quite really surprising how quick you do recover. However, the menopause through my experience and with my mum, it's the aftermath of that said hysterectomy. It's, it's the seven or even up to 10 years of menopausal symptoms that you need to prepare 
yourself for. And I know there's lots of books written about this. There's talks, there's podcasts, we're even talking today and we'll be talking about treatments and symptoms. But for me, the one thing that really isn't talked about enough is, and it was the one thing that took me a while to really get over and probably was the trigger of me sobbing before I went into surgery was, it was the fact that this was a sign that you can't have any more children. And I'm not saying that at my age, I would have necessarily wanted anymore, but it just felt so final. And it's that psychological feeling that HRT or herbal alternatives are never going to fix, they're never going to solve, they're never going to essentially make you feel psychologically better because of that outcome. And that's something we need a different type of support for. You need to really, in those situations, share your feelings because it's not just the physical state and symptoms that you're going to go through, it's the mental state and symptoms you're going to go through too. So I had the operation in 2019 and thankfully I got a treatment that I knew well and I'd road tested it before the operation. I had the marvellous Royal Marsden that I wanted to leave the hospital with that treatment. So almost a week after surgery, when I was being slammed into early full menopause, and that happened really quickly, it was within seven days. You know, I'm in my early 40s, I've got a full-time job, I've got a child, I'm, I'm trying to recover from surgery, knowing that I've probably got impending second surgery to come. I really needed something that I could depend on. And the HRT that I tried and tested gave me that reassurance. But then COVID happened. And, you know, you've got less accessibility to GPs, generally the supply, in my opinion and my experience, got lower. The brand I relied upon stopped production. As I was told, the active ingredient came from China. And that had been one of the recollections I'd had with my mum. When you run out, you panic. You've got this Mm. anxiety and stress of not finding it. You can plan to a point, but you'd never have planned a pandemic. They'll only give you a month's supply. So within two weeks, you're working out what your strategy is next. Where's your nearest chemist? Have you been there over a period of time? Do you ring up before to avoid disappointment? I've been known to queue outside of a chemist first to be the first customer in there when supply is low. And I had to be inventive. Like many women during COVID, you know, you try other brands. Sadly, they didn't work for me. I tried herbal alternatives, not so nice side effects. I think I remember telling you, I even asked my parents when the travel ban was lifted, We have a home in Spain. They went out to Spain. I gave them a shopping list of what I needed. Just so happened in Spain, I didn't need a prescription. I just need evidence of the box that I was using currently. And thankfully, my mum came home with a suitcase full of the brand I needed. Desperate times, desperate measures. I mean, some weeks I was on such a high dose of HRT. I was on 100 milligrams. I could only get smaller doses. So what I found was the adhesive on the actual patch itself wasn't as strong during COVID. I don't know what happened with the glue, but it was very, very weak. Mm, I had exactly the same problem. So I had been noted. Yeah. Yeah, I remember having four patches on my leg for over probably a year, strapped with gaffer tape around the patches. I mean, thankfully we weren't going out and thankfully we weren't lying on the (laughs) beach, but it wasn't my favourite look. But, you know, again, needs must. These patches became so precious to you. You really relied on them and any dose that you could get at the time, you nurtured them and you made sure they lasted as long as possible. And just lastly, you know, my experience of menopause, you know, you mentioned it in your introduction, it is happening much, much younger. I think marketing and the industry lead you to believe this is something that happens when women turn 50 and 60. A lot of women I know are not just through BRCA, 
but a lot of women I know are experiencing symptoms much, much earlier than that. We really need to help women of our own age and giving them the advice that they need. I mean, help groups and NHS volunteers I've spoken to have even said up till very, very recently, their training was relating to helping women in their 50s and 60s. So that's needed to change, but it needs to change with other industries too, because menopause can be forced upon you or it can happen naturally. And it is a huge stage of your life. And some people may sell through it and some don't. And you do need to control your path because you don't know how you're going to feel later in the process. So for me, menopause is about getting prepared, is about keep talking to your loved ones, keep talking to your friends and to your work colleagues. And the biggest mountain you have to climb for yourself personally is to feel comfortable about doing that. The worst thing you can do is go through this period of life suffering alone because you don't need to and you shouldn't have to. So the long and short of a quick question and a long answer is menopause to me is a symbol for me of survival, courage and a start of a new stage of life that I want to really embrace. I don't want to have to suffer through. Well, Claire, that is most definitely the longest, (laughs) but the most emotional and poignant answer to the first question I've ever had and thank you for being so open and so honest in your reply and sharing of your journey I'm so grateful and I'm sure our listeners are too and it is so important to talk about it so you as you said there is no taboo in sharing with your colleagues or your loved ones where you are and how you're feeling both you know psychologically mentally and emotionally and the impact it's having on you but also from our side conversations what's really clear is There are different ways in which you arrive at menopause and there isn't this one size fits all or hands up. Honestly, I thought in my 50s, I was surprised to start having symptoms personally in my late 30s and I didn't know it happened this early. I didn't know it could happen this early. I didn't know that not everyone goes through it or does go through it but doesn't have the symptoms and it's such a personal journey for each and every one but also one that can really allow you and once again my advice is personal here feeling quite alone alone in what you're experiencing alone in even if someone else's experiencing their journey or their symptoms are different it can feel very isolating and also as you were saying that kind of psychological impact of this is the end of child rearing or the next chapter or however it's been defined for you is significant and isn't always spoken it, about it really is And, you know, if we can do anything here today is to just try and embrace and make people feel comfortable and confident about that next stage of life, because it is something that we as women need to celebrate. We need to take control of how we're feeling during that stage of life. And we need the support of everybody around us to help us get us there, too, because we shouldn't feel alone. Every woman will go through this. Our journey will be slightly different, but we will all go through this. We are at a stage now. I am proud to be in this generation where we are actually talking about it. It has been a taboo. It is a change. It's a hormonal change. And people need support. People need to find the right solution for themselves. And what they find at the start might not be what they end up with during the end of the menopausal period, but it's having the support and the people around you and being honest with yourself as well when you're showing up and you're not at your best. And I feel me personally and some women as well don't always feel 
in a comfortable enough environment to call that out. Oh, that's completely true. And I almost have taken it on myself as like this one woman crusade to make sure that I tell people when I'm not okay because of something that's happening in the menopause as part of like my educational piece. And it is in those situations where you share openly about how you're feeling impacted in that day, because every day is different. I don't know what it's like for you, Claire, but every day is different for me. It really is. And whether it's a day where you didn't sleep very well the night before, whether it's a day where sometimes having to switch HRT because of lack of supply, as you've just said, and and even though they should be the same hormone, they do emotionally throw you sometimes. Or maybe it's something else that's impacting you that's then interfering with how you're showing up, and whether that's at work or your life as a whole. Yeah, I think by having that openness, I almost feel like I'm doing a little bit of educating at the moment. I say things like, just one second, my perimenopausal brain is just catching up with me. Or hold on one second, I just need to write that down so I don't forget because of my perimenopausal brain. I almost feel like I need to say that. And what I've noticed in one particular business that I've been working with, why I have been saying that, another lady around the room started saying it as well. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, she did. And I and she ended up having a train journey back with her from where we were. And we ended up having a good conversation about which HRT she was on and which I was on and support that she'd found and support that I'd found. And I felt that I'd made just that little bit of difference by actually saying that that day, which allowed her to then say that that day. And then for us to then know it's okay to talk about it and it isn't this taboo. And what a lovely experience from just you calling out and being brave enough to say that you were just having that moment. You were suffering from a symptom and just calling it out. We need to do more of that. It's not caveating ourselves. It's not making excuses for ourselves. It's just actually saying, do you know what? I'm just not at my best right now. It's not affecting my work. I'm just calling something out. And I think if anything, going through menopause, especially if the symptoms are quite severe and they are affecting you more and more in the workplace, you do learn to be a lot braver because you have to. You cannot go to work for seven to 10 years and suffer and not say anything. It's just impossible. Or you leave. And, you know, the industry cannot afford for us women... 10% of women are going through menopause right now. And we cannot afford for that level of women to leave the workforce. We just can't. So, you know, for us to call things out when things don't feel right and we're not at our best, and it's not all the time either. So we shouldn't, you know, feel bad about it. It's just there are points in time where things just aren't right and we should call it out. We should call it out. And I think it's that education also outside the female community, because I also remember a scenario where I was running a workshop and you know people were gathered around intently listening to what I was saying. And I started to have a flush and there was a lady at the back of the room that clocked it. So one of the symptoms, it's not the same for everyone, is you can see the redness. You can see the redness in your chest or their neck or wherever it may be. And she completely clocked it and she looked at me across the room and she went, signaled basically are you having a flush and she did this like signal of moving upwards me open window like can you imagine the signals like that's what she was doing and I just did this like a thumbs up and she opened the window for me and I was so grateful and so emotional that moment as well that someone had acknowledged what was happening to me yeah but I still carried on I didn't say anything that day but I just thought god imagine if everybody else in that room male female regardless of gender life stage who they are clocked that and just went Abby do you want a window open yeah yeah please that'd be great or someone went do you want a glass of water or do you want a minute and it will pass it will 100% pass 
but it was just the fact that it was the woman at the back of the room that had obviously been through the same and we then had the same conversation that evening I said thank you so much that you clocked it and she said yeah I've been through it I could see it rising on your neck no worries and we end up having the same conversation about which HRT she'd gone natural all of that and I just thought though but what if everybody in the room had clocked that what a much more inclusive space that would have been and allowed others to know. And it's hard if you haven't been through it, I think is the common theme here or are going through it, to spot it, to see it, to empathize with it. And it shouldn't just be women that have that level of understanding. And, you know, a lot of the communication I'm seeing is obviously targeted women. Of course, we need to know, as you said, we need to control our own path. But also those around us, you know, even those that are close to me, that aren't female, for example, my husband, don't always know what to say either. And so I think the education needs to be broader on the symptoms. It turns out there are over 40 symptoms of the menopause and not just the classic hot flush, brain fog, insomnia. There are 40 symptoms, everything from itching and all sorts of things Mm. that we need to be aware of and for others to be aware of so that they can at least provide space and understanding, even if they're not experiencing it themselves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, your example of that one person calling out your symptoms, that's probably one person more than probably a decade ago. And that's because we are talking about them more. And there may be 40 symptoms of menopause. Thankfully, I'm not suffering from all 40 symptoms. (laughs) But also there's obviously side effects of any therapy drug that you're taking as well, that obviously instigates even further effects and symptoms. So Yeah, it is really tricky and we can't expect people to understand who are not going through it or haven't gone through it. But again, I mean, we're talking about the physical symptoms. There are obviously the the mental symptoms that people are going through as well. And just because somebody isn't being overt or you can't physically see the hot sweats or physically see somebody is absolutely exhausted from a poor night's sleep, psychologically, there could be a lot going on too. So we do need to educate. We can't assume everybody knows or everybody understands what women at this stage of life are actually going through so we have a role as well to play to call that out and to help organizations identify those characteristics and those symptoms so they can help support and provide as much care and support as women need during this time definitely and as you say you know we don't want to lose this workforce and I also recall back to being a younger marketer wondering where the older women in our profession went and having this conversation with a good friend of mine who's also a marketer and now starting to experience the menopause, I do wonder if that's one of the causes. I do wonder if that gets to a life stage piece, which goes with this tiredness, with this emotion, with my brain fog, which in turn knocks your confidence. Yeah. Especially in the roles that we are in, in marketing, you know, we are at the forefront of every business. And so we are always the ones that having to speak up, speak up, speak tall, all of those things, you know, we need that confidence to make the change. It can really impact you in your practical day, emotionally and psychologically, as you said as well. All of those things combined will create a cumulative effect that impacts our confidence for sure. Absolutely. I mean, I read that the Fawcett Society did a survey and they researched 4,000 women and it was brought to light that one in 10 women leave an organization because of menopause and then others take on fewer hours so they adopt flexible working or even part-time work to mitigate those symptoms and then have to as a consequence as well take sick days to cope so there really is a problem out there that just need to make sure that you know companies and industries are are really facing into this because all women will go through this stage of life and I say this within my department as well not all women 
choose to get pregnant, but all women will go through this stage of life one way or another. So it is really, really important. It is really, really important. And I think from our conversations both today and outside of today, regardless how you arrive at menopause, you know, obviously with your history with cancer in your family and, you know, the grieving that goes along with that and obviously being medically required versus someone who arrives at menopause on the early side or later side, we all arrive at different points. We all have different symptoms. Mm. It all impacts us differently. The key thing here is that it will impact us. And that impact for that individual will be personal. That impact it has on them work and life as a whole will be different. And it's about raising that awareness, not just within our female community, but broader so that we are creating workspaces that do work for everyone and are inclusive. Exactly. I think as women as well, we just need to stop beating ourselves up as well. If something doesn't go well, if we pour over an event because we haven't shown up or in our opinion, with our perception, we've left thinking that didn't go particularly well. And the reality and the perception can be so, so different. But I'm a victim of it. I will pour over something and go, God, why didn't that go as well as I wished? And I have had to learn to adapt to certain situations because I never know when brain fog is going to occur. (laughs) I wish I could. A hot sweat, I can feel almost coming on. Insomnia, well, insomnia is just insomnia. I've never quite fixed that pre or during menopause. But brain fog is something that just happens. So, you know, I do prepare myself. You know, if you could see my table now, my notes, because... I rely now going into a presentation on notes. I may not refer to them always or read them word for word, but they are now my comfort blanket. So should I have a brain fog moment, I've got them there and I feel more confident when, when I'm speaking now. And it's just, it, it's, it's finding ways to adapt and adopt to this new stage of life. But I want people to kind of listen to this podcast and just try and not fear it, lean into it, It's just adopting a different way of doing things. You know, it is such a long period of time as well, and we will get through it. And we need to just embrace all of the things that it brings with it, which is having a little bit more control over your environment. You know, having a look at your diary and thinking, well, you know, maybe having pretty, you know, strategic or important meetings, 8.30 is probably not your preferred if you have charge if you're chairing that actual meeting, you know, be kind to yourself, perhaps think, well, actually, I'm probably more at the top of my game at 10am. So if I can control that meeting time, let's do it. Let's make sure there's preparation time before and after that meeting. So before you can prepare yourself, get your notes ready. And then afterwards as well, you can just download and make sure that you haven't got these hidden conversations that will play on your mind again and again and usually when you're trying to sleep you know pouring over that vent again do that diagnostic half an hour after that meeting then close that book and move on on to your next thing that you need to do for the day and they're techniques that I find I've had to look at but it's given me a sense of kind of I'm controlling myself I'm controlling my space now rather than perhaps a calendar that kind of controlled me pre-operation and pre-menopause. That's a great piece of advice. Actually, I do exactly the same. So try and giving myself time in the morning now to walk or journal or something as opposed to going straight into a meeting because as you say if you haven't slept well the night before but also just takes a little bit longer for the brain to start firing all cylinders and lists list 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 I literally live with my phone (laughs) I have a list for everything that I have to do that day you know for that thing I've never been more dependent than I have been on my iPhone but not for interaction for lists 
just to be yeah. sure that I don't forget anything. And, and also in coaching, when I was trained as a coach, we were very much about not holding a pen, listening to the moment. But I was saying to another coach of the day, I've started to just jot those words down that that individual says and accept that I now need to do that when I'm coaching because I want to look at the trends of what that person's saying, but also allow my brain to focus on what they're saying in the moment and not try and remember what they said to bring it back because that's not going to work either. And accepting that that may have not been how I was trained, but it's what I need to do to do the best by the person I'm coaching. So I think there is coping mechanisms, but there is also acceptance of the way that you now need to do things. And the example you gave of speaking you know whereas before you might have just got up on the stage and gone through your slides but now having your prompts gives you maybe where you started with prompts maybe because I started with prompts and then you don't need prompts going back to prompts it's okay because I need that now to do and deliver the way that I want as well exactly and being the best of yourself and showing up and being the best of yourself when you're there and not having that anxiety should something happen. And more often than not, it doesn't happen. But that anxiety is still there because you've had that, you've had that one bad experience, which again just keeps revisiting at a time when you don't want it to. Yeah. Another menopausal symptom is increased anxiety. So it becomes this cycle of brain fog causes lack of confidence, causes you to then worry about what you've done, which then fuels anxiety, which then means you don't sleep and it goes back round again. It's like this lovely cyclical friend. And anxiety is actually something I have never, ever, ever suffered from. I've never been somebody that has shown any traits or experienced any anxiety. I do know people I'm close to people who I have actually spoken to them because I was getting these symptoms but I wasn't quite clear what they were and I haven't had them prescribed but my friends have described them as yet that's actually anxiety that you're going through which again new symptoms new feelings new ways in which you've got to adapt to be able to cope with these said conditions that you have to evolve you have to change you have to adapt Yeah. And just embrace as much of it as you can, but just keep on talking. And there is advice out there. There is lots and lots of advice, probably too much advice, but it's finding something that works for you and knowing that it's a fluid experience. You know, what is right for you now might not be right for you in a few years time. So it's just making sure that you're keeping up to date with your treatment, speaking to your GP, speaking to your health practitioners, getting all of the insight. And then there's so much new development going on as well. There's lots of hormonal replacement therapies out there. And even then, we're seeing even more products come onto the market, far more than what my mum experienced all those years ago. So with hopefully less side effects. And on that point of HRT, you know, more solutions are coming on the market. And, you know, HRT will have varying levels of success for people. But also, personally, I will say, if the first one doesn't work, try, try again. It's taken my third attempt of a combination that now works And, you know, knowing that just because the first one didn't work and to persevere would be probably something that I would impart on today's podcast. Absolutely. And hormone replacement therapy isn't for everybody. And some people can't actually take it. And some people just don't need it. Many women sail through the menopause with no physical symptoms. And I salute those women. But yeah, there's lots of other alternative therapies out there that could be equally suitable. It's just, again, just speaking to your health practitioner, your GP and finding what suits you and knowing that you may have to change and adapt depending on your situation. Yeah. And finding what works for you. And also, I would say appreciating that it's not going to solve all the problems either. It will just help. It will. It suppresses. Coping mechanisms. Yeah. It suppresses. Yes. 
It suppresses and makes the symptoms of menopause gentler. It doesn't eradicate them, or certainly in my experience. You know, the only thing that you know for sure is you do have to adapt. You do have to make adaptations in your life to be able to live with menopause, because that's what you are doing. You're living with menopause and just making sure that you've got the support network as well. And I, I can't express this enough. Just be so transparent with your team. My team have been absolutely phenomenal. I've taken them through the whole medical journey because I've had to. I've had to take quite a significant amount of time off work. Little have been absolutely brilliant from day one when I was diagnosed. They just instructed straight away to me, you do what you need to do. We're here to support you. You know, I had to rely very much on my team. I had to step away. People had to step up. And I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have gone through all of that not knowing that, you know, the day job was getting done. And they did it brilliantly, probably too brilliantly. <laughs> Got to walk back <laughs> in and go, okay, do I have a purpose here anymore? <laughs> but that's a good thing. That's a good, you know, that was that was a good thing. You know, my team are brilliant. They know, and I'll signal to them when I'm not having a good day. They will finish my sentences for me, or they'll step in halfway through a presentation if I've kind of forgotten my flow or lost my flow. And that's the glory of having such a tight-knit team as well that I do have. But credit and kudos to them because they've actually been brilliant throughout it. But they could have only done that had I been that transparent and that honest. And that's so, so important. And I was just about to say exactly that, you know, credit to them, but credit to you for being a true leader and being honest and authentic and bringing your true self to work, which has allowed them to give them the help that you needed during that time and vice versa. And I don't think enough marketing leaders do that. So credit to you, you. credit to you. (laughs) Thank you so much for being so transparent and so honest with your journey. Those that are listening are probably going, okay, you got Claire Ferrant on the podcast. I wouldn't mind hearing her career highs and lows. So that's where I'm going to go next. Mm-hmm. What are your career highs and lows? So my lows, I would say, I think I've talked to you about this, Abby, before, is during COVID, the environment for me working remotely, I'll just say now, I 100% hated. I'm so much of a people's person. I love building relationships. I love that sense of belonging, that team spirit. And especially during difficult times, I really feed off other people's energy. And in a role like marketing, it was just very tricky. It was tricky to keep connected. Even our customers felt somehow distant. We're queuing to come into our stores. They had masks on. They were obviously extremely concerned about health issues and and safety around COVID. And for the first time as a marketeer, there was no real rule book at all. You know, what should we be saying? What should we be doing? What should we be creating? How often should we be creating it? You know, meetings on teams where we're sharing creative work on a Teams call. It all just felt so formal. I really longed to know how people were doing and thinking every day. We were recruiting remotely as well. And you know, people experiencing Lidl in a very distant way, just on Teams. And you know, I wanted them to really benefit and be embedded into the amazing culture that we have there in our business. But that said, we did produce really good work during that time. And I'm so proud of my team because I'm very conscious that the feelings that I were having were very mine. But at the time, the team were making things happen. We did our best work. I think at that period of time, it really showed me that brands that can survive during those times have teams within the business, which are really strong, really resilient. You know, they work 100% well together in unity and just find ways to cope, to maintain getting the job done and also enjoying it at the same time. And that really plays, I guess, into Lidl's DNA as well as, you know, our ways of working is so agile. We kind of come up with idea and then play it through through the line really quickly. 
So we kind of benefited that we had that kind of agility in the workplace already. But I found it very difficult. Like I said, I, I just I'm not somebody who could join an organization and work five days a week remotely. I think I would go insane. Mm. And I think the other thing would be probably my low has been just in my career where I probably haven't been mature enough and experienced enough to know when to leave an organization when perhaps I've been in a business too long where I physically and I know I've kind of lost the energy. I've become idea blind. I've gone around with probably a more closed mindset than I would have liked. So certain ideas and solutions, perhaps in my head, I've played back to myself. I've heard that idea before. I instantly think the business won't buy into that idea. And I think that's really, really dangerous as a marketer. You know, you want to be entering every scenario and situation with that open mindset and exploring ideas and thinking that the impossible is possible somehow, somewhere. But I think over my career, like I say, I've not had that experience, that trigger to know that that feeling means that perhaps as much as you love the brand, it is actually best. It's best for you and for that business is for you to look for another opportunity elsewhere. So that low has taught me a lesson, I think, certainly in my career. So they would be my lows. And your highs? And my highs would be, I love, love, love coaching and developing others. I love seeing people grow under your leadership. And those people then being recognized in the business or by the industry as ones to watch, et cetera. You know, I have people in my team as well that are studying MBAs, further apprenticeships on top of the day job, on top of working in in a really agile team as well, you know, and credit to them for doing that. But, you know, we do have that kind of healthy growth mindset within Lidl. And I do nurture my team. I do protect them. But in the same vein, I do challenge them. I challenge them to step out of their comfort zone, but also to benefit from soaking up all of the skills and experiences that you can benefit from, from working with a retailer. So people that perhaps I can see are getting a bit too comfy, who are talking to you in the one-to-ones going, you know, even recognizing it before they even recognizing it and trying to create fluidity within the department by encouraging them to move either within the rest of marketing or indeed in some of the other business units within Lidl as well, because they need that change. They may not have the experience to know that, but encouraging them to step outside of their comfort zone, to be challenged, to inspire them to gain future skills. It's a great retention method as well. It keeps things fresh. It encourages them to learn a little bit more about the business as well. But it also helps you during times where resource issues or things aren't going quite right, where those people that have learned those skills over that period of time can jump in and kind of help. When you give them an SOS call, I don't need you to do X, Y, and Z, which might be out of their current remit, but they've had that said experience. So we have created quite a fluid marketing team where people have come in as experts, but have ended up being an expert and a generalist in many of the acumens within within marketing. So yeah, I would say that was probably my high is developing that culture. And I've seen 10, 15 people develop themselves in that way and are still with little today. So yeah. Love that. And last but not least, what is that one piece of advice you'd give to marketeers of tomorrow? I was told by a leader of a retailer when I was being promoted to enjoy the journey of your career. It's not always aspiring to get to the next level. I don't know whether it's a generation thing for me, but it was kind of, you know, your life is mapped out, primary school, secondary school, university, career. It's really about enjoying getting there 
Otherwise, when you get to that target, it won't feel enriching. You won't get that same sense of achievement. You'll also be blind to the people that you've met along the way that have helped you, challenged you, enriched you, and all of those experiences as well, because you've just been too keen to get to the top of your career. And I think it's real advice that's really stuck with me, and I'm very, very conscious of it. So continue to learn, but remember your career is really quick. So enjoy the ride. Enjoy the ride. You heard it here. And thank you so much again for your time on today's podcast. Thank you, Abby. It's been great. Thank you for tuning into the Whole Marketer podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do like, follow and share. The Whole Marketer is here to support and empower you and your teams with the latest technical skills, soft and leadership skills and behaviours and personal understanding for a successful, fulfilling marketing career and life as a whole. For support, resources and more information on how we can help you to become a Whole Marketer and build Whole Marketing teams, go to www.thewholemarketer.com.